a magnificent time in this uh, kingdomology study over the last few weeks, and it reminded me that uh, when we go out of town, Gina and I love to have somebody house sit, and house sitters are, are fantastic because they water the plants, they get the mail, they take care of the pets. I've got a black cat that loves to have her tummy rubbed about three times a day, and if she's not being tended to properly, she gets a little bit crabby, so... We need a house sitter, and house sitters are welcome. They can eat out of our fridge. They can lay on our couch. They can play our video games. They can do whatever they desire to do. They kind of have free run of the house, but, but in reality, they are just stewards. They're not owners. The owners are coming back. They're just kind of tending to what we have given them authority to watch over, and when I was thinking about the kingdom of God, it occurred to me that we are stewards, we are house-sitting. God owns the universe, and he's given us the unique responsibility to watch over the things that he has given to us. I want you to turn your Bibles today to Luke chapter 19, because Jesus began to tell a story about house-sitting. He began to tell a story about being a good steward. And in this parable, Jesus talks about three groups of individuals or of, of or, or three different groups. He talks about a king. He talks about supportive servants, obedient servants, and he talks about a disobedient servant. And Jesus would often use parables to describe certain spiritual points. Jesus would make up a story, but, but he always had a reason why he was telling that story. There was always a spiritual point. And much of Jesus' teaching was done in and through the parables. And in Luke 19, Jesus is beginning to describe the kingdom of God in and through a parable. Now it's interesting, if you read earlier in Luke chapter 19, Jesus has just interacted with a man by the name of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He was an extortionist. He was stealing from people. And Jesus radically changed his life and he began to give back uh, with interest to the people that he had stolen from. And Jesus defines his mission on earth as that of a person that has come to seek and to save that which is lost. But right after those verses, he goes into a parable to describe this. And so Jesus' parable is tied to his mission if you look at the context of Luke chapter 19. And I want to share with you three aspects. I hope you'll write these down on your outline about being a steward. We're talking about kingdom business today. Jesus illustrates kingdom business here in Luke 19. Now look at verse 12. Therefore he said, A nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. And he called ten servants, and he gave them ten minus, and told them, engage in business until I come back. And so here's the message of the king. The message of the king, the message of the benevolent king, is that I must use my time, talent, and treasure for the kingdom. Now this nobleman is getting permission to become the king, but when he comes back, he has been given this authority, And he says to these 10 servants, here's an investment, here's 10 minas, and minas are units of of money, like a ruble 
or a peso or a dollar or a pound or a yen. He, they're given 10 minus. It's the equivalence of three months' salary. So if you just added up what you made in one month times three, that would be the increment of money that the king has now given to the servants. And then he gives them a, a little word of instruction. Engage in business until I come back. And so the king says, listen, use what has been given to you to build a profit. Invest it wisely. Uh, do something with it. Uh, in other words, God expects the servants to get busy. Now, in this story, the king is personified as God. And so the king represents God, and he, and he gives this, this word to the ten servants, engage in business till I come. Uh, this word, to engage in business, is a word that we get the English word pragmatic from. It's the Greek word pragma. And uh, another translation says, occupy till I come. I think engage in business is probably a little bit better. But we get the word pragmatic from, from it. And I love, that, I love that word because a lot of times people think that being a Christian is being ethereal. But what this king is challenging his stewards to do is to be practical, to be pragmatic. He says, now take the investment, take the money... And do something with it. Make a profit. Invest it wisely. Uh, be active. Work hard. Take a risk. Be creative. Do something. Do something with what God has given to you. Uh, and, and we need to pragmatically involve ourselves in kingdom business. I mean, kingdom business is not just sitting around thinking. Kingdom business is acting. And the king illustrates this when he gives these ten servants... Uh, these these investments, this money. Now, how do we how do we invest what God has given to us? Well, we do so through our time, our talents, our treasures. Uh, we can invest in the kingdom through our time, spending time with people, spending time doing things that matter to God. Romans chapter twelve verse fifteen tells us that we should weep with those who weep, and that requires spending some time. And so, kingdom business is about ministry. It's about investing in other people. It's about, it's about helping people along the way. That's, that's our time. Our talents are our gifts, our spiritual gifts, our experiences, our abilities. God has given all of us um, specific abilities or skills. Maybe it's something that you've learned on the job at work. Or maybe you have a certification. Maybe it's just some experiences that you've had and you have some skills. You have some abilities. Maybe it's a spiritual gift that God's given to you. And if God's given you the gift to teach, then you ought to teach. And if it's showing mercy, you ought to be merciful to people. And if it's serving and helping, then you ought to, to exercise that. If it's leadership, using the talents that God has given to you in the kingdom. Um, he says, occupy till I come. Conduct yourself in business pragmatically be involved in using the deposit that has been given to you to build the kingdom but we also have our treasure and in this particular case these individuals were giving this sum of money and they were expected to do something with it um, it reminds us that God owns everything God is a king and in Psalm chapter 50, verse 10 and 11, it says, For every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird 
of the mountain and the creatures of the field are mine. God says, you know what? I own everything. Did you know there's not one thing in the world that God does not own? Way back in the book of Genesis, God gave human beings the, the right to steward, to manage. But God is the owner. And God says, I, I even own the cattle on a thousand hills. In other words, you cannot even add up all of the things that I own. You know, in a kingdom, the king owns everything. There is no private property in a kingdom. It's true. If the king decides he wants to take your estate and give it to your neighbor, guess what? Sucks to be you. He has the authority to do it. He's the king. The king owns everything. That's what God is saying. God, God says, I own everything. But you know what? I'm going to entrust to you. I'm going to give you certain talents. I'm going to give you certain abilities. I'm going to give you certain investments. And it's kingdom business when the people of God begin to invest what God has given to them into the kingdom. This is kingdom work. God doesn't share ownership with anybody. In fact, the, the last time that the Bible mentions that somebody tried to set up a joint venture, his name was Lucifer, and it didn't go so well for him. He was kicked out of the heavens. And any attempt that you and I, uh, any attempt that we have to share ownership with God uh, operates out of pride. Uh, we don't even own our own bodies, by the way. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, God owns our body. Did you know the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? God owns that too. I mean, he owns everything. He owns it all. And this is the message of the benevolent king is that I'm to use my time, my talents, and my treasures for kingdom purposes. He says, engage in kingdom business until I come back. But there's also a second message, and that's the message of the faithful servant. Now notice how this, this parable unfolds. Beginning in verse 15, he says, I must invest my treasure wisely. Now look at this. At his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those servants he had given the money to so that he could find out how much money they had made in the business. The first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned ten more minas. Well done, good and faithful servant, he told him. Because you have been faithful in a very small matter, you will have authority over ten towns. So there were ten servants that were given the minas. We only know the result of three. I think the emphasis here is that God is illustrating for us that he gives a lot of people, he gives a lot of us, maybe all of us, certain, certain abilities and certain opportunities. Um, he records two faithful servants and one unfaithful servant. So we only know the result of three. But I love this because it reminds us that we don't have to be like the Navy SEALs of the Christian life to have God invest in us. You, you, you don't have to be a missionary. Uh, you don't have to be a mega super saint to have God invest. He, he's investing in, in all ten of the servants. And then he records the results of two. Now, this particular servant, the first servant, he had ten minas and he made ten. How much increase is that? Somebody who does math. 
That's a thousand percent, isn't it? That's a lot. That's good. That's real good. He, he took 10 and he made 10 more. And, and uh, the king says, way to go, buddy. You know, you've been faithful in a small matter. And he says, I'm going to give you more authority. So I'm going to, uh, you, you, you did well with 10 minus, so I'm going to make you the ruler of 10 towns. How about that? In other words, God is rewarding people who are faithful. When, when, when God gives us a gift, when God gives us abilities, when God gives us resources and we manage them according to the principles that he has outlined for us, God gives more. God loves faithfulness. It's all the way through the Bible. He loves it when we're faithful. He loves it. And this guy worked hard. He took risks. And he was generous. Now, it's not just a gift. It's an investment. There's a big difference here. I want you to see this. If, if I wrote you a check for $1,000 and I said, I want to give you a gift, you might do 100 things with that. You, you might put it in the bank. You might pay some bills. Um, if you're married, you might buy your wife a really nice gift. But that would be your business. It's a gift. You can do anything with it. But if I gave you money, if I loaned you money for an investment to start a company, and you took that money, and six months later I said, hey, how's the business going? And you said, oh, man, I just took that money and put it under my pillow and didn't do anything with it. Then I would probably be a little frustrated. I'd probably think, well, I could have invested that money in somebody else. I could have just kept it for myself. You took it, you took the investment, and you didn't do anything with it. So there's a big difference between an investment and a gift. And Jesus draws this distinction in the story. We need to notice that this investment is a test of faithfulness. The one who is faithful is the one who has more opportunity. They were entrusted with all of them are entrusted with the same. We're going to see as the story unfolds that the one who was the most faithful got the most increase. The one who was second most faithful, he got increased, but not as much as the first guy. And when we're faithful in the kingdom, we get promoted. Uh, when we're not faithful in the kingdom, we get corrected. And Jesus is going to show us that in just a second. But how can we be faithful with the treasure that God has given to us? Uh, well, we, we, when we give, we give to the king. In ancient times, when you would go visit a king, you would bring a gift. And the gift had to be in alignment or it had to be something that was worthy of a king. You wouldn't bring a king trash. You, you wouldn't re-gift the king. Amen? You would bring something that was worthy of the king. And in the Christian life, we call that worship. Worship. We give, and as we give, we, we worship. We worship. We give to the king. So how can, we, how can we invest our treasure wisely? Well, one of the most important ways is in and through generosity. It's through giving. It's through stewarding what God has given to us. And the scriptures outline at least four different types of giving that I think are important for us to understand. The first is the tithe. The tithe. The tithe means tenth portion. 
Uh, Abraham tithed. Uh, Moses uh, talked about the tithe. In Leviticus 27.30, every tenth of the land's produce gained from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord and is holy to the Lord. So a part of how we steward is we give to God what belongs to him. We, we bring the tenth portion to God. That's called a tithe. If, if our salary is $1,000, then $100 belongs to God. If our salary is $10,000, then we would bring $1,000 to God. It's 10%. It's the tithe. And this is obedient giving. Um, it's doing what God has called and purpose for us to do. Malachi chapter 3 goes on and it says that God will open the windows of heaven when we begin to tithe. And tithing is something that is so different from fundraising. Sometimes people get these things mixed up. Fundraising is like when your kid's uh, a part of the band at school and they're raising some money for a trip and they sell candy bars. That's fundraising. Fundraising. And that's great. And, and if you've got kids especially, you've, you know, done fundraising kind of things. You've worked the concession stand. You have sold popcorn. You sell Girl Scout cookies. Whatever it is. That's awesome. But that's different from the tithe. The tithe is that first portion that goes to God. There's another kind of giving in Scripture. It's the giving of alms. And this is anything that we do to relieve uh, the, the hurt, hurt of, of the poor. So if, if somebody's struggling, somebody needs some groceries, and you buy somebody groceries, or you help somebody with a bill, or you do something financially to help somebody, that's what the Bible calls the giving of alms. And, and that's a good thing. There's also an offering. Now, an offering is what we give over and above the tithe. The tithe is the first 10%. That's the foundation. That's the, the first portion. The tithe is being faithful. The offering is being generous. Okay, there's a difference here. The offering is what we do above and beyond. And we read throughout the Old Testament tons and tons of different offerings, different types of offerings. We had an offering uh, around Christmas time. And we raised some extra money to do some things around the church and to help some missionaries around the world and some other projects and some benevolence and some things like that. An awesome thing. We asked the church to give above the tithe so we could do a little bit extra. That's an offering. Um, there's also a, a fourth kind of giving. That's sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving is when we give above the tithe and we're going to make a sacrifice. So uh, today you're sitting in the sacrifice of some people that have gone before you. We bought this building in 2015 and we raised the sum of money. We asked our congregation to make some sacrifices to help us move the ball and to be about kingdom business, and we made sacrifices. Uh, I was talking with a lady a few years ago, and she was like, Pastor, we decided to go out to eat less. We decided to, to not spend money on this, and she told me like four or five things. And, you know, these were not things that anybody told her to do. They were just things that God had put on her heart to do, and her family made sacrifices, and they were one of the families that helped us raise the money to, to buy this building. Gina and I had saved some money for a car, and we decided to give that car money to the building project. Uh, so we made a sacrifice there, sacrificial giving, so that we could move the ball and be about kingdom business. Sacrificial giving is not something that we do all the time. 
It's something that we do from time to time and whenever the Holy Spirit leads us and directs us. But all of these, all of these illustrate for us what it means to be faithful and to use our treasure wisely. Uh, when we were starting Edge Church, I went to talk to a man that was a multimillionaire and I asked him if he would give us some money to start our church. He was a member of the church that I grew up in. And he said, Ryan, come by the office and, and I want to talk to you and I'll show you around our business. And he was in the jewelry business. And he gave me a tour of the factory where they made all the stuff and it was fascinating. And I asked him, I said, all right, what's the secret sauce? And he said, the secret sauce is we give. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, this is all God. And he said, we always tithe to our church, but our business gives to all kinds of missionaries around the world. He listed off all these things that the business give to. He said, he said listen, every time that we give to God, we get blessed in another way. And uh, I was like, wow, that's an interesting business model. You just give it away. And he was like, yeah, we have a good product, but the secret sauce is we give and God blesses. I found out a few years later, my home church was having a building program and this family gave $35 million to the project. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. When the pastor got a phone call from this guy to tell him how much he was going to give, he almost had a wreck. He almost drove off the road. Now, if you want the pastor to get in a wreck, you know, tell him something like, I'm going to give 35 million. Can you believe that? That's amazing. And the church built a huge building and it was awesome and it was beautiful and God was glorified. Now, I'm telling you that today. I know most of you today are not going to give $35 million and that's not the point. But what I want you, what I want you to hear is that you cannot outgive God. You can't do it. And that's why um, the scripture goes on in Luke chapter uh, 6 verse 38, it says, Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Will be poured into your lap. For the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. God always blesses giving. God blesses stewardship. God blesses faithfulness. God blesses consistency. God blesses generosity. These are universal spiritual principles and they're echoed throughout the Bible and Jesus is talking about them and teaching them here in Luke chapter 19. But there's also a third message. I want you to see this, the message of the disobedient servant. Now, not everybody did what, what the king had told them to do. Uh, look at this in verse 20. And another came and he said, Master, here is your mina. I have kept it safe in a cloth. Because I was afraid of you, since you are a harsh man, you collect what you didn't deposit and you reap what you didn't sow. He told him, I will condemn you by what you have said. You evil servant, if you knew I was a harsh man collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow. Why then didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. So there was one servant that took ten and he made ten more. There was a second servant that took ten and made five. But there was a third servant that did what we just read right here in verses 20 to 24. He took the tin and he put it in a cloth. It's almost like he buried it in the ground. 
And you notice the response when, when the king asked him, why did you do something so silly? He says, listen, the, the, the most ignorant person could have put it in the bank and just had a little bit of interest. You didn't even do that. You didn't even try. You just took the money and stuck it in your closet somewhere. Why did you do that? And he, and he, he mentions two responses, uh, fear and trust. Okay, see, the message of the disobedient servant is I must overcome fear and trust. Now, he's afraid. He's afraid. What if I lose? What if I lose the investment? What, what if? What if? What if? And so fear keeps him back from doing kingdom business and investing in the kingdom as the king has given him instruction to do. You know, fear can be one of the greatest enemies to being generous to conducting kingdom business, to investing in the kingdom. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm a single mom. I don't have enough. Um, we live paycheck to paycheck. These are all emotions and thoughts that go through our mind. And, and fear can be one of the greatest enemies to generosity. But, but I, love what, I love what the king says. The king says, why didn't you just try? You, know, you didn't even do anything. You failed the test, and fear was an obstacle that kept him back from faithfulness. What Jesus is talking about here is not salvation. He's talking about wasting what God has invested into us. That's what he's talking about. The servant didn't openly rebel. He just was kind of indifferent. He didn't do anything. But the second hesitation that he had is that he didn't trust the king. You notice he thinks the king is bad. Look at those words again. He says, you are a harsh man. Listen, if your view of God is anything but that God is good, giving will always be a challenge for you. Listen, we have to believe in the goodness of God. We have to believe in the blessing of God. We have to believe in the power of God. If you believe God is impotent or indifferent... You will never be a generous person. You'll never be a steward. You will never steward the things that God has given to you faithfully. You know, the other day I was thinking about a, a, a person in our church a few years ago. I asked them to do something. And right when I asked them to do it, I knew they were, they were not going to come through. Have you ever delegated something to somebody and you're like, I just asked them to do something and I know they're not going to do it. Do you have anybody at work like that? Like you ask them to do it, and right when you say it, you're like, why did those words just come out of my mouth? So I'm worrying about it. You know, for several months, I'm like thinking about it all the time because I don't believe this, this person's going to do it. And sure enough, they didn't do it. <laughs> well, not too long ago, I asked somebody to do a similar task, and they were a very faithful, trustworthy person, and I forgot about it. I handed them the responsibility, told them what needed to be done, and they went and got it done. And I was so relieved, and I didn't worry about it. And you know why I didn't worry about it? Because I had confidence in the person that I had given the opportunity to. And they got done, and it was beautiful. And I was thinking about that with this passage, and it occurred to me that, that God is looking for people who will be faithful. But... God also wants us to know this, that we can trust him. When we start to invest in the kingdom, when we bring tithes, when we bring offerings, 
we also believe that God is good and that God is going to come through for us. So we don't worry and we don't stress and we don't become anxious and antagonistic because we believe that God is good. If we don't believe that God is good, giving will always be difficult. If we believe God is good, then giving is a much more manageable task. I find it interesting that the man said to the king, you're a hard man, and he had just given him 10 minus. I mean, he'd just given him the investment, and yet the response was, you're harsh, you're bad, you're not gracious, you're not good. And so he's, he's taking the 10 minas, and at the same time, he's telling God, telling the king that he's not what he needs to be. The king had just freely given it to him. Some of Jesus' observers didn't know if they could trust him. Uh, that's why uh, Jesus is telling this story, I think. They saw him interacting with people like Zacchaeus, broken people, disturbed people, demon-possessed people. Sick people that were considered unclean under the Jewish law. Jesus hung out with a lot of sinners. And when the religious establishment saw his interaction with these individuals, they were suspicious of him. And they thought he wasn't good. And Jesus is teaching them here. Look at verse 26. I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. God's looking for faithful people. So there's a couple categories here. The one is the category of the faithful. In verse 16, this servant uh, takes 10 out and he makes 10 more. And uh, in, in verse 17, the, the king says, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you've been faithful in very small matter, I'll give you authority over 10 towns. Have you ever wanted to have more authority? Have you ever wanted to have more kingdom responsibility? Have you ever wanted to make a bigger impact with your life? It starts with the small things. It starts with being faithful with what's little. When you're faithful with what's little, then God will give you more. And the nobleman's response comes three ways. Commendation, well, well done, good and faithful servant. Reason, because you've been faithful in the little things. Promotion, you'll have authority over ten cities. It's beautiful. The same is true with the second servant that we didn't discuss as much. But there's a second servant that takes ten and makes five. And Jesus makes him the ruler of five cities. Uh, when Jesus returns, he will judge our faithfulness. Those who are found faithful will be rewarded generously. See, God rewards faithfulness here on earth and also in heaven. Now, we don't get to heaven by giving. But God rewards faithfulness on earth in eternity. And what a great opportunity we have to be those faithful stewards. We don't want to be like the guy in verse 20 and 21. And another came and said, Master, here's your mina. I have kept it safe in a cloth. Kingdom business is not safe. <laughs> it's not safe because I was afraid of you. Since you're a harsh man, you collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. He missed out on the whole point. He missed the whole blessing. He missed the opportunity. It's sad. 
We don't want to look back at the end of our life and feel like that we wasted what God had deposited in us. We love to play the game of Monopoly at our house. And uh, I, I was reading this week that Monopoly has over 1,100 versions. In fact, for $65, you could go to Amazon.com, if I can do a little commercial, and you can make your own Monopoly game. How about that? We play Monopoly Empire. That's like the super fast version. You can play that like in 15 minutes. Amen? That's the good stuff. But there is something really satisfying about playing old school, traditional, original Monopoly and seeing all of those greenhouses become red hotels. Come on, somebody. And I love to wipe my kids out. You know, some parents let their kids play, let them win so they can have better self-esteem. Not at our house, you know. It's all, it's all about winning. Wheeling it and dealing it and seeing those stacks of cash and Seeing that defeated look on my kid's face, it's, it's, really, it's really beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. And as much as I enjoy Denveropoly and Monopoly and Monopoly Empire and, and all the different genres of Monopoly, at the end of the game, guess what happens? It all goes back in the box. It's all over. Wait a second. I worked so hard to build a monopoly. It's not there anymore. It's game over. You know, at the end of time, at the end of our life, everything we've earned will go back in the box. And the one thing that's left forever is how we've stewarded God's kingdom. Would you pray with me for a moment?